ಚಿತ್ತದೇನ ಮಲಂ ಶರೀರ ಪ್ರವರ ಮುನೀನಂಜಲಿ delivering yoga for the mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class we were studying the 40th and the 41st sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra which deals with the first observance the niyama of the eightfold uh, of uh, the eightfold yoga practice that's the shauch the cleanliness the as we saw that the 40th sutra deals with the external cleanliness and the 41st sutra which we studied quite elaborately in the last class which deals with the internal purification the mental purification the purification of our chitta so those are the two sutras we studied in the last class that what what's the result that ensues as we have seen that the 40th sutra spoke of the external cleanliness when we maintain the external cleanliness that the awareness that the body by nature is unclean that dawns in and with that comes the tremendous aversion for your own body as well as its relation to any other body we start relating more in our emotions with our mind with our spiritual entity through compassion through empathy through friendliness the physical dimension of our existence becomes more and more immaterial uh, is it loses its context in our day to day life the so called the lust gets converted into the real love so that's what which was spoken of in the 40th sutra that shaucha swa anga jugupsha aversion for your own body parai asamsarga and which extends to the contact with the other bodies we lo- we get that aversion and that aversion doesn't mean as we all indicated that total indifference towards the health and hygiene it doesn't mean that it actually means that apart from maintaining health and hygiene there are two aspects the other aspect is that which we give more importance we actually don't give importance to the health and hygiene health and hygiene is required because even in our scripture they say that sharira madhyam khalu dharma sadhanam this body is the thing with which i am going to do my spiritual practices so if it is not in proper health if it is having lot of diseases sickness the entire mind gets gravitated down towards the body and i cannot contemplate on the higher realms of the spiritual domain so body has to be taken care this swa anga jugupsha as we found has been mentioned that what actually it means 
It means there are two aspects. The aspect which we are more interested about is not the health and hygiene. You will find that we are extremely callous in that manner. We eat junk foods. Uh, we live a very, uh, what you say, the life which is not regulated. So if you were aware of the health and hygiene, we would have done that. But yes, about one thing we are very, very alert. We are very aware about that. How to make it more presentable to ourselves. That it should be well-groomed. So where it is meant that swa anga jugupsa and parai asam sarga, it is actually indicating to that aspect. That you need not just spend your waste your time in just your hairstyle or what dress to wear that in a wardrobe so many clothes are there every day morning we waste our time just to decide what to wear what not to wear all those things actually speaks of swa anga jugupsa parai asamsarga so we should always try to understand the sutra in its correct perspective it never means that I am not going to take care of my health and hygiene. That has to be taken care of. Otherwise, I can never progress spiritually. If I take care of my health and hygiene every day for a short time, the rest of the day I am free. I do not have to care for my body. If I brush my teeth regularly in the morning and again before going to bed, I need not have to suffer from toothache. And we know that no meditation is possible if you have regular the gum infection and the toothache how much it draws your mind. Yes, those who are highly spiritually evolved, for them, the condition of the body doesn't matter. Just the way when you are in love with someone, whatever may be your health condition, you find your mind is completely engaged with the object of your love. Similarly, when you start loving the divine aspect, it's so intensely that the body becomes immaterial then all these practices may have no purpose. But before that, I have to take care of my health and hygiene. A little time I take care of it, rest of the day I'm free. The body doesn't in any way asserts its existence. It's free, it has been taken care of. Now I can use my mind, engage my mind for the higher pursuits. So that's what actually was indicated by the 40th Sutra when it spoke of Swa Anga Jagupsha Parai Asam Sargaha. And the 41st Sutra, what it spoke of? The mental purification. That what it actually speaks of? The Sutra told the Sattva Shuddhi, Sau Manasya, Ekagra, Indriya Jaya, Atma Darshana Yogyatva. These are the features which you find manifested when you can cleanse your mind. Sattva Shuddhi means what? That the mither, the mind is neither restless nor it goes to some laziness or torpidity. It is calm but alert. That is Sattva Shuddhi. It's in no way tainted by extreme actress Rajesh, nor it is uh, subdued, nor it is clouded by tamas. It is in a state of flow. That the mind is just flowing in one thought spontaneously. That's the state of sattva. And your mind has got purified. It has eradicated the restlessness as well as the laziness. And it is alert in its thought of the object of meditation. 
And that is also spontaneous. You don't have to use your will because will also speaks of rajas. Because by practice, your one-pointedness has become spontaneous. That is the thing which has been indicated by the word Shattva Shuddhi. With that, what happens? A cheerfulness comes. So manasya. How it comes? When your mind is spontaneously flowing in a very sublime thought, the first thing that happens for the first time you realize that unnecessarily we were we are carrying throughout your life so many baggages in the form of worries and tensions. The moment the mind gets into that state of flow where all the baggages has been thrown off in the form of worries and tensions, you feel tremendously light. Suddenly that all the weight has been taken away from you. That's the thing. It's not the tintillation of nerves, the excitement which speaks of so manasya. For us at present, as we have never experienced that relaxed state of existence, we do not know that how much happiness it gives. Its happiness is something which can in no way compare with the happiness which we get out of the sensual enjoyments, which through that excitement of the sensual enjoyment, it's nothing. So Manasya fix of that state of extreme relaxation that follows Sattva Shuddhi. And from that, the next state is Ekagra. When all the worries and tensions have fallen off, the mind is spontaneously focused in your object of meditation. And when that happens, the next thing is Indriya Jaya. I can never stop the impulses of my senses by force. It is impossible. The more you try to do it, the more the senses assert. When I'm thinking that I have to get rid of some of my impulses, I'm actually constantly contemplating on the impulses. I have to give, give away what? I have to give away lust. And I'm thinking of lust. And that will be find that's the biggest paradox. The more you fight with it, the more it asserts itself. That's not the way. The way is I have to engage my mind in something sublime so that the mind never gets the scope to indulge in the so-called baser, these impulses which constantly distracts us. So we will find the moment. That's why in life, even those who are not spiritual, they always think of some hobby, something to be passionate about. That's the only way which can help us to get rid of the so-called the baser instincts of life and keep the mind in something uh, which is higher, which is noble. How it happens? As we told, that the mind has a limited capacity of processing information. When you are focused, the entire mind has been taken away by the object of your focus or concentration. So no part of the mind remains to take care of those other activities. And that's how they all fall off. And that's how the very, in the very beginning you find that you can easily get rid of all your obsessions and compulsions. So in the modern psychology, in the modern psychiatry, if you go the, the one of the very basic uh, psychological problem is, they say OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. We to all to certain extent, extent have that, that obsessive compulsive disorder. There's so many things we don't want but we cannot live. There's a nice story that a blanket was uh, 
flowing along with the flow of the river. So seeing that a monk would have nothing. Now he, he thought that in winter, it's sometimes this, you know, that it's so intense, the winter is so intense. To get rid of that intense cold, that blanket will be of use. Why not I get it? I just get it, I dry it, and then I can use it. So he swam, he just, he just swam to the middle of the river to get hold of the blanket. He got hold of the blanket, but he was not coming back. He was flowing along with the blanket. The other monks who were on the bank, they shouted, what happened? Come back, just return along with the blanket. Why are you just going away with the flow? Going far and far away with the flow. And then the sadhu replied, very interesting, the one who was holding the blanket, he replied that the, it is the blanket which is dragging me. Then the other persons then realized that most probably it is not a blanket. Then they told, whatever it may be, please leave it. And then the sadhu replied, who was flowing along with the blanket, that I have released the blanket, but it is not releasing me. Actually, it has hold, it thought the, the back of the crocodile was actually, which was thought as the blanket, flowing blanket. It was actually a crocodile which was swimming and thinking that crocodile to be the blanket, the sadhu went and now the crocodile has got hold of him. And that's why in Hindi they say, it is not leaving me. That's what happens with all of us. All the so-called the pleasures of life, joys of life, at certain time in our life becomes bitter. We find that they are not giving me joy. Instead, they have become the cause of my uh, own uh, lifestyle diseases. Not only that, even it makes my relations sometimes very uh, bitter, complicated, everything, let us get rid of all those things. And now I find that I'm obsessed. I cannot, there's obsessive compulsive disorder. It is with all of us in some way or other. And it can only be got rid of if we can have that focus, love something in life. There's so many scientists to, it has been asked sometimes, that do you not feel the need for some enjoyment? Like we just sometimes need a break, we go to a movie, we go for some recreations. Do you never feel? They tell no. That this, our tremendous passion for the research work is such that we are totally involved in it. The other things, we never feel the need for it. It has fallen off from our life. So they just fall off. Just as Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, that if you remove the scab on, from the wound. When you have a, any wound on your skin, when it's drying up, there is a scab. Now, if you try to remove the scab, you, the wound will lacerate. The wound will become more, the, it will grow, it will lacerate. It has to fall off by its own, Sri Ramakrishna used to say. The scab should fall off by its own. If you try to remove it by force, the wound will lacerate. So similarly, this you cannot force out the so-called, the, all these are obsessions and compulsions. It has to be healed. The scab has to flow off automatically. And how it happens? When we can really develop that 
tremendous focus for something sublime. As in the words, as we told in the last class, as we go more and more towards the East, the West automatically falls off. We cannot push the West. To get rid of the West, we simply have to move towards the East. So in simple words, Ramakrishna is explaining that how the Indriyaja happens because of that Ikagrata. And that at the end, this same focus at last results in Atma Darshana. It gives you that capacity to develop the, the skill which can result in self-realization, Atma Darshana. How it happens? As in the last class we were saying that when your, your focus, when you're thinking that I am the Atman, I am the Brahman, and you can think it so intensely, so spontaneously and so intensely that the other things have become something very secondary, insipid in your life. That helps first in the Indriya Jaya. And next, what happens is Atma Darshana Yogyatva. You develop the capacity for self-realization. How? Now this thought is hammering your ego. When you say, I am the Atman, I am the Brahman, I am the devotee of God, you're denying your physical existence. That the, the one, that's the I, which I think to be the psychophysical existence cannot be the Atman, cannot be the Brahman, the Atman, the Brahman, or the devotee of God is the, is the spirit, which is an eternal association with the divine, which, is, which was always there, which is, which will be. This body will fall off, but I remain as the self. So this I am the self, I am the Atman, I am the Brahman, is the idea which is constantly negating your ego, is as if hammering on the ego. And in the last class we were just discussing that of our personality, ego is the hub. All our desires, all our compulsions are like the spikes attached to that hub. If our personality is a will, then all the desires, the compulsions, obsessions are like the spikes. There are innumerable of them. Some are visible, some are not visible. There are so many desires of which I'm not aware, but they are there. And it is almost impossible to get rid of them one by one. Yes, those things which are visible, of that I get rid of at the very initial stage by Kagrata. But there are so many unmanifested desires. Suppose some I, I had some delicacy yesterday, where I really enjoyed it. And now I forget. After two, three days, I am busy with some other work, I forget. But do I really have uh, lost the taste for it? No. Again, when you are in a restaurant, you just open the menu book and see that item immediately you feel the tremendous urge to have it. So it was there, not manifested. Avyakta, it was there. So how can I get rid of all this? One by one, I cannot get rid of. So this Atma Darshana Yogyata speaks that when you're constantly hammering your ego, the hub of the will, when you can get rid of that, all the spikes, so-called the compulsions and obsessions fall off at a time. The will collapses. Your so-called limited individuality you get rid of. And that's what is spoken of as Atma Darshana Yogyatva. So this starts with that uh, Indriya Jaya and at last this is the same practice will take you to the self-realization. So this Shocha you will find there's a simple Shocha, the practice of cleanliness alone actually speaks a lot. If I can cleanse my mind, if I can cleanse my body, if I can cleanse my mind, 
the more and more I can engross in my, my myself in my spiritual thoughts, which ultimately can take me to the realization of the self. So that was spoken of in the 41st Sutra. So now we will go to the 42nd Sutra. What it is speaking of? Santosha, the second practice of Niyama. That as we have already uh, studied, that there are five observances, five Niyamas. What are they? Shaucha, Santosha, Tapa, and then Swadhyaya and Ishwara Pranidhana. Shaucha, Santosha, Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara Pranidhana. So Shaucha, we have covered. What is Santosha? Santosha means contentment. So you will find these practices are not separate. With the practice of Shaucha, you will find you are becoming more and more adept in Santosha. If I am, I can keep my mind in some sublime thought, that the constant hankering which is there in our mind, we are never satisfied. Why we are not Santosha, you know, because of our illusion, delusion. That today, with just some, I have, I have, own, I own a car. It's, it serves my purpose. When I purchased it, I was so happy. And after a few years, I start feeling that this is an old car. I need a new one. And with all my mind, I constantly try to rationalize that I need it. It is my necessity. This old car doesn't serve any purpose. Throughout our life, we will find that when we, are, we want something, our total mind is focused in that. We feel at the moment we get it, my needs will be fulfilled. But within a few days, a new want has developed. Why it happens? Why it happens? Because whenever we desire something and the desire is fulfilled, we are ecstatic. We get a tremendous joy. And it is this joy which lures us to again go for some new thing and have that adventure and again go to that ecstasy. But you know what is happening again and again? We are constantly being deluded by the idea that it is the external object that gives me happiness. This is a delusion. In this world, nothing can give us happiness. That so much, so many desires we have and we feel the moment the desire is fulfilled, I get happiness, that we are deluded with that idea that that has the object which has given me happiness. It never happens. Swami Vivekananda in Raja Yoga is uh, describing, is trying to explain this idea, how what he's saying. That our mind, just he's say, taking an example, our mind is like a lake. And the bottom of the lake is as if our self, which is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. It is always blissful. But you will find that when, you know, in a swimming pool, that all are jumping, swimming, I can never see the bottom of the swimming pool. Why? Because the water is turbulent. It is constantly breaking into waves. Similar is the condition with our mind. The mind, the, the behind the mind is the Atman, the self. The mind is getting activated by the self. Otherwise it is inert. Behind the mind is the self, which is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. Sat Swarupa means what? That whose existence can never be denied. It was, it is, it will be. That is Sat Swarupa. That which is Trikal Avadita. That is Sat. 
trikal three phases of time past present future it was not interrupted that is what means avadhita avadhita means uninterrupted now you may say that yeah even science says that that ultimately everything can be reduced to either matter or energy so everything is energy but it is inert it is so here the all the perennial scriptures is asserting that ultimate reality which is sat is chit is awareness it's not the matter it's just the opposite that it is a shallow science which says that matter has conglomerate to accidentally create matter uh, to accidentally uh, create consciousness that consciousness is an ap phenomenon that's the word they used to use now in science i am not going to that discussion have they have, themselves have started questioning is it so or is just the opposite actually the so called the visible world is the ap phenomenon phenomenon real phenomenon the real thing which is is the conscious principle which is that appearing as this universe even in the present quantum maker this physics there's a beautiful statement which they say that that the moment you observe you need someone to observe whether how this world of this material existence come into being is there something called matter even in quantum mechanics they have started saying that matter as such is not there it's all probability in it's all in the wave forms and how it appears to be a matter we are not going to the discussion we will just uh, speak out the sentences of the science which you will find is so similar to what has been spoken of in the vedanta what they are saying the moment you observe the probability collapses into reality to give a common example in a classroom the children's are running hither and thither because the teacher has left the class the next teacher is said to come and the headmaster sitting in his office he hears the noise and he thinks let me go and see that what the boys are doing why they are making so much noise he walks down the corridor and just stands in front of the classroom to see what's going on and he finds all are sitting seeing the headmaster all the children took their own seat the probability collapsed into reality that's what happens when you are observing that observing is the primal factor for the creation so this chit means that awareness that consciousness which is eternal which was which is which will be that is a chit swarupata so my real self is sat is chit it is it is can never be annihilated and it is consciousness and now again we are deluded then this consciousness is it always going through this duality of joy and sorrow through eternity you know life we find that as long as i am conscious of myself most of the time i am having problems and then suddenly suddenly a little sunshine i see in my life again i go to this abject sorrow and that way as if i am torn apart by this duality of joy and sorrow is this the way i have to go through as like a helpless wreck no again the scripture saying no actually you are beyond this duality you are always in bliss then why this joy and sorrow it is not because of the self the self when it is getting reflected through the mind then this duality comes into existence how as we were giving that example when the mind is breaking into waves if just say that when the lake is breaking into waves i cannot see the bottom 
Here also the mind in the form of thoughts, worries, tension when it is breaking into waves again and again. When the mind breaks into break uh, breaks into waves of thoughts, worries, tension, it develops the capacity of partial filtration. Of ourself, the satsvarupata chitsa that I am, I never forget that. I am aware of that. But the bliss aspect gets filtered out. It is a, it's just selective filtering. Just as we give the example of mica sheet in the olden days in the palaces, they used to use the mica sheet in the windows. Why? It allows the light to pass through. If you go to Rajasthan, all the forts, still you can see that with the mica sheets they have used in the glass. The light is allowed to pass through, but it insulates the heat. So in the tropical weather, so that's the way they can keep the room lighted, but can avoid the heat, it will be cool. So it's selective filtering. It allows the light, but not the heat to pass through. Similarly, the mind, when it is agitated, it never, it never forgets about its own existence. That's the self's existence. We are always aware, I am, but the bliss factors gets filtered out. Then, then why do we just occasionally have this bliss? When my desire is fulfilled, why have that bliss? What happens? Suppose I have a tremendous desire for the latest model of the car. And by taking loan or somehow I manage to have it. The moment I go, I get the key, I drive. I'm extremely ecstatic. And I think the car has given me happiness. But actually what has happened? The moment I get the car, that my mind was always agitated. I have to get this, I have to get that. There are thousands of desires. Now one desire has subdued all other desires. I have to get this car. So for the time being, only one desire has as if engulfed all other desires. The moment I get that, that one wave which was disturbing my mind, that also has subdued for some time. The mind is calm. The lake is calm. Now you can see the bottom. The bliss aspect now just permeates through our body-mind sense. You're tremendously happy, but you're deluded. That happiness is actually coming from within. No one can give, make me happy in this world except my own self, which is always at bliss. But that bliss factor is constantly being filtered out because of all my worries, tensions, and restless mind. The moment it is at calm, you will find always it happens. Whenever any intense desire is fulfilled, you get the bliss. What has happened? That object of desire has not given you bliss. It is yourself, which just reveals for the time being. It permeates through your mind and body, giving you the tremendous sense of joy. It's the let go that gives you happiness because the self gets the chance to reveal itself, to permeate itself through your body, mind, selves. But what happens? Constantly we're deluded. We don't know from where the joy is coming. Just the way the deer, when it is having the mask in its navel, that smell infatuates it. It gets so lured by it, it runs and runs, not knowing it is in its own navel. At last it gets exhausted, it dies after exhaustion, not getting from where the smell is coming. That's our condition. We are constantly running after the chasing after the desires to get that bliss. We get the little bliss, little moment we are happy, Again, the mind you will be breaking into waves. A new desire is there. Again, we are running after it. It never stops. This eternal chase after the device never stops. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to give that wonderful example that our condition is like the bull 
which is used to grind the oil from the oil seeds. In the olden days in the villages, there is one stone, one round stone over which another round stone has to revolve. In between those two stones, all the oil seeds has been kept. So when the stone revolves, those oil seeds gets grinded and the oil is, is churned out, oil comes out. But how to make that stone revolve? So what they used to do, they will tie that stone with a bullock, with a, with a bull and make that bull go round and round. Now how to make it go round and round? Throughout the day, if someone has to chase it, it will be a really tedious job. So they used to fool the, uh, this bull, Bahau, this bullock, they will tie one stick, a bamboo stick on its head. And it, in the front of that uh, stick, uh, they will hang some straw. The bull goes on chasing that straw, going to want to get that straw. It moves forward. As it is tied with a stick, it can never reach it. The straw moves, the bull goes on moving. And that's how the oil gets grinded. The nature, Prakriti is, has made all of us that bull. It has fooled us. It is making us grind the oil. That's what Swamiji is saying. We are all eternal suckling babes. The words he was using very strong that we are mustached babies, that we have grown physically, we have all mustache, but we are after all babies in the spiritual sense. These are the words of Swami Vivekananda. Why? Because like a baby, we always need something to suck, suckle. The moment it is removed, we start crying. Again, something has to be given. These eternal suckling babes we are. Why it is? Because of the delusion of jnana, that contentment is not there. Once I know, that if I can keep my mind tranquil, I am always the hirer of the bliss. It is always there. These yogis, the sadhus, they are not fools that they have relinquished everything and leading that life of contentment, santosha, not hankering for the so-called, the uh, all the wealth, the so-called wealth after which the entire world is chasing. The reason is that they have somehow realized that real happiness is in santosha. That's why in the scripture they say that the happiness gained on this earth through the enjoyment of desired objects is just one sixteenth. It's in the Taittiriya Upanishad. It's just one sixteenth compared to the happiness which ensues because of the cessation of the desires. So all the baggages as in the last so Manasya, we are saying, the mind has fallen off. The mind has in it calm. The bliss is always welling up. The word welling up is very significant. What welling up means? There's a well. Some, for some reason, you have pumped out the, all the water. You need it and you're pumped out. So now immediately it looks dry. So will I have to again pour water to fill up the well? No. Next day morning I come, I find again it has, the water has started filling up. From where the water came, the ground, the water is already there. It just wells up. Similarly, happiness is something not to be poured from outside. It is something which is within us, which is our self. It just wells up. Keep the mind clean, it wells up. And that what is being spoken of 
as santosha. Once we know the nature of the mind, once we know that the bliss is something which is always with us, it is our nature. It is not something to be acquired. And then this hankering for this, in, this in, uh, uninterrupted hankering for the pleasures of life that has to follow. When Buddha was speaking of the four noble truths, Arya Satya, the first is there is Dukkha. Now we translate Dukkha as suffering and that way we make a big mistake. Dukkha never means suffering. The word Dukkha means dissatisfaction. There's a difference between suffering and dissatisfaction. You may say, what's the difference? When you are supposed testing a delicacy, the delicacy which you like the most, and I come and ask you, are you suffering? You will immediately say, no, how can I suffer? I'm enjoying. But now if I ask, are you satisfied? Immediately a big question mark will be in your mind because you have already planned for a second serving that once it is over, I'll go for the second serving. I'm never satisfied. Dukkha means dissatisfaction, not suffering. And if by that wrong translation, we make Buddha to be pessimist. Actually, he's speaking the very fact of life that we are never satisfied. We're constantly this chasing. That's a hedonistic treadmill. We are constantly running to get something. In a treadmill, you are run, but you run in the same place. You go nowhere. That's what we are doing throughout our life. Chasing for happiness. We are in the same place. We reach nowhere, ever running never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. So once I am aware of myself, which is eternally in bliss, this futile chase stops. And that's what has been spoken of as Santosha. So, and naturally you can just understand that why that Anuttama Sukhalava, that unsurpassed happiness comes from Santosha. So now you'll find it is obvious the ones we can really cleanse our mind, make it tranquil. Do not allow it to get disturbed in the, by the waves of worries, tensions, and desires. The bliss is something which is within me, which just permeates through my psychophysical existence to make me blissful once for all. And that's something which no one can take away. And that's what results from Santosha. The next sutra. The next sutra is uh, speaks of the tapasa, tapas, austerity, mortification. What's the result of it? What if you get established in mortification? You will find that there are so many stories that to get power, even the asuras used to do a lot of tapas. Yes, through tapas you can get power. You can get. And that will sometimes say that our scriptures say that actually we never speak of becoming divine. We become more devil-like by seeking power. Actually, we forget that yes, the devils do through tapas has developed power. But now again, the question of choice comes that with that power, what you do? If you use for your own self-aggrandizement, if you use it for exploiting others, then this is the law of nature. You will be destroyed. 
You get the power. Now what to do with the power? So here lies the difference between the Devas and the Asuras. They both go through the mortification to get powers. Now what you just, even in the modern day, what to speak of this mythological stories, mythological stories. With the nuclear power, we had that devastating bomb. But we are constantly harnessing that nuclear power because we know that if we can have in a controlled, in a nuclear chamber, in a controlled way, that nuclear fission, then that same power can be used in some productive way, in some constructive way, in the form of uh, this, our energy. We get that energy in a constructive way. The same thing happens is whether we use it or abuse it. So we do get power through mortification. But what we do with it, that makes us either the deva or the devil. We can either become the gods or we can become the devils. So now let us try to understand that how we develop the power through tapas. First, let us read the sutra and then we will go to the discussion. Kaya Indriya Siddhi Ashuddhi Kshayat Tapasa. Kaya Indriya Siddhi Ashuddhi Kshayat Tapasa. There are two things. Ashuddhi Ashuddhi Kshayat. All the impurity is annihilated. Kshaya. Ashuddhi Kshayat. And once these impurities are removed, that results in Kaya Indriya Siddhi. That you get perfection to the organs, some supernatural powers of, in your body, in your senses comes. What, how it happens? Through mortification, through tapas. Now let us try to I understand that the, this mortification results in the heightening of the power of our senses, like your power of your vision, your hearing. And we find that sometimes that a yogi sitting in one place, what's going on in some distant place can just say as if he's seen as hearing. He has developed some supernatural power of hearing, seeing how it happens. Now you'll find a very interesting thing that as a human being, our senses have some limitation, but it's not true for all the animals. You know, a pigeon. Now here sitting in my center, I cannot hear the rumbling of the waves of the ocean. It's a few kilometers away and I cannot hear it. The pigeon has a very sensitive ear. It's, it's for the pigeon, the world is extremely noisy. It can hear from here, the sitting here, being residing here, it can hear the rumbling of the waves. You know, the nocturnal animals, even at night they can see because their eye has the capacity to see the infrared light. So why we are speaking all those things? The mind has various mental modules. As a human being, only particular modules manifest, others don't manifest. These are the ideas yoga has developed, has actually discovered thousands of years back. It's very interesting. You just, to, just to explain that when, suppose, uh, we believe in uh, this rebirth. We believe in reincarnation. And what's the cause of reincarnation? Our desires. The past life's desire, desires uh, which has been not been fulfilled for the fulfillment, I take another birth. In this birth, they will be to fulfill them. 
So it, the, all the desires are there in the form of sanskar in my mind, which is letting, which is forcing me to take another birth. Now this theory at, at the initially appears so simple, but immediately you can ask so many questions that if all the desires remains in my mind, even in the future birth, they are not lost. Now suppose a very crude example I may take that in some previous birth, I was a cattle or anyone was a cattle, was a cow. The green grass was something very delicious. That was my staple diet, food. Now as a human being, if all those shankaras are still there in my mind, seeing the green grass, why don't I salive it? I'm supposed to salive it. They're there in the, my mind. Just see yoga this has developed the psychology thousands of years back in a, such a nice elaborate way they have discussed. These all discuss, discussions are there in this Patanjali Yoga Sutra. We have already discussed to a certain extent in the first chapter. What it says, very interesting. That as per your jati, as per your birth, as per the species in which you are born, bhoga, that what are experiences you will go through, that is decided. That all the desires won't will be manifested in this life. They will remain. They are there. They will remain unmanifested. In the human birth, this feeding on grass is not a uh, vritti, is not some sanskara which suits the human birth. It is there. If I take birth again as a cattle, it will manifest. In this human birth, it remains hidden. Even to give a common example, you will understand. That suppose as a student, I had a liking for all the subjects. I was I really liked it and I got good grades. I got good grades in my social science, in the language group, in science, in mathematics. And I was passionate about all the subjects. I was a good student. Now, the moment in the 12th standard, you have to choose a particular stream. Suppose you go to the medical college. Now, what happens very interesting. Suppose in the school, as a co-curricular activity, I was very much interested in music. But the moment I go into the medical college, you will find what has happened, that your liking for the biological science has shadowed all of the liking because now that's the thing which is needed. And now those all those things are there in your mind, but they got shadowed. In your profession at the beginning, when you are struggling with your uh, profession, still you find it's all, you're, you're just reading medical journals, you're reading uh, seeing uh, what you say, the videos on some uh, medical topic, that's what you're doing. And now you're established as a doctor, quiet in the later life. Now you're relaxed. That struggle period has gone. And suddenly you find that your love for the music has again came back. So it was hidden. It comes back. So that's what I suggest. See, this, this wonderful idea was there in the yoga. See, all the desires are not finding expression at a time. So this is our mind, there's only one mind. Or from that we, to uh, what is that our individuality? We are downloading as per our liking, as per our temperament. In the internet, everything is available. If I am an engineering student, all the things which are required for my studies, only I that download. And that becomes my world. Similarly, we are from that one mind, as a human being, we are downloading particular mental modules. Now this tapas, what it does, it removes the obstruction and allows the other mental modules to be downloaded and they find expression as supernatural power. Now, if at night I can see 
it's not supernatural if there are nocturnal animals they can do but as a human being it is supernatural what has happened by that mortification i have just allowed some other modules also to find expression through my mind so this tapas actually does doesn't help you to attain something it actually helps you to get rid of the obstruction and the nature is all powerful is it is it is having infinite potential and those potentialities starts getting starts manifesting through your life there's a wonderful sutra in this yoga sutra we will study it in the fourth last chapter of the this kaivalya pada the third sutra of the fourth chapter what it is very nice they say that how tapas works the sutra is like this nimittam aprayojakam prakritinam varana bhedatu tatha kshetrikavat so the what's the meaning that all the causes are secondary that all the tapas are secondary nature finds expression by its prakriti naam how varana bheda there is some obstruction varana means some obstruction bheda you remove that how the example they are giving is tatha kshetrikavat just like a farmer a farmer to bring water to his field what he what he does the river is flowing by and there is a dam by the side of the river so that the field doesn't get flood, flooded now the when the farmer wants water for his field what it does it will create a small hole in the dam and now it doesn't have to uh physically bring the water the water by its own nature will simply through that hole flow and irrigate his field so that's how tapas works this tapas actually is removing the obstacle of the prakriti and the prakriti finds expression and that's how through tapas we really develop this what you say the perfection of the organs it finds expression in a much better way in a more subtle way like we can develop this uh, some subtle uh, the smell subtle taste some intense sense of hearing intense sense of seeing all those develops through tapas so that's the idea which is this is actually the removing of the obstacles and that's how the mental modules are already there there's only one mind what we download and that constitutes us through tapas we can get rid of the filtering factors and can as if download those part of the mind which in default mode as a human being is not available just in a computer you open the word file by default you will find the margins are fixed 2.54 cm or whatever it is but you can design you can change it to whatever it may be i'm just giving this because we example all can understand but those who are doing the programming they also know that by default so many things are available i can design i i need not have to be limited by this default i can design so here also the mind by default as a human being so many things are not available but i can design and the programming for the designing is this tapas that cleanses the cleanses the mind and allows those modules which are there it is not something supernatural it's not that i am creating them it is already there in the cosmic mind you are allowing to download them and find manifestation through the human being which otherwise as in default mode is not available and that's what speaks of this kaya indriya siddhi your senses become more keen more perfect more powerful how it becomes ashuddhikshayat 
because of the removal of the impurities. The nature flows by itself and that's what results from tapas. So the, now the time is almost over. The next two practices, Swadhyaya and Ishwara Pranidhana. So I will just read out the literal meaning of Swadhyaya Riddha's uh, Sutra and just uh, read out, uh, I will just uh, explain its literal meaning and then this elaborate discussion we will again take up in the next class. This Swadhyaya and Ishwara Pranidhana. Plus, let us read the Swadhyaya. What is Swadhyayat? Ishta Devata Samprayoga. Sadhvaya means self-study. Swadhyaya means Japam. Both repetition. Repetition of the mantra as well as the study. Why this, this study actually res, at last results in the repetition. Suppose just for me, I being a of the Ramakrishna order, take Ramakrishna as my Ishta and I repeat the name of Ramakrishna. This is Swadhyaya. Why I repeat it? That before we take, we will find those who have taken initiation. First, the Guru will say, first you have to study. Why? The mantra which I'm going to repeat, the moment I take the name, if I have studied all the sublime ideas linked with that name, with that form, that will be like a spark plug. It will be sparking in my mind, all those ideas, isn't it? Now, first, when I have studied, then the name becomes something like all those ideas get encoded in that name. It's very simple to understand. As I first studied that life elaborately and saw that so many sublime, uh, this spiritual traits have been manifested through that character. All those things gets now encoded in that name, in that form. The moment I think it, it's decoding. It's flashing in your mind. So now, once I have studied, now this repetition, that makes all those ideas intensely grooved in my mind. And when I do that, at the beginning, it is an imagination. That visualization, however vivid it may be, it is imagination. Anyone will say that it is imagination. It's not realization. But know it for certain, this imagination, this vivid visualization is going to end up in realization. At last, it won't be an imagination. It is something you are seeing the truth face to face. It is going to happen. Through Swadhyaya, it happens. At last, you see your Ishtadevata. The desired, there's the communion with the desired that is established. Some programming is established. The communion with the Ishtadevata through Swadhyaya. So what actually is speaking of? How it happens? That we will again take up in the next class. So we this discussion will take up in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today, conclude our class today. Again, we will continue from the 44th Sutra in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.